Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Friday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, Clayton County School Superintendent Dr. Morrissey J. Beasley talks about the decision to continue with remote learning. But we'll begin with this. Georgia Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene was stripped from her committee assignments in the U.S. House of Representatives yesterday. On this vote, the yeas are 230 and the nays are 199. The resolution is adopted. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. Now, the vote largely fell along party lines. However, 11 Republicans. 11 Republicans did vote with the Democrats. Now, here's Georgia Democrat Congresswoman Nakima Williams speaking in support of the resolution. My colleagues on the other side of the aisle say they disapprove of Representative Green's actions. However, disapproval without action means nothing. This is about doing what's right. As Dr. King stated, it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. Now, all of this, of course, coming after Congresswoman Green's past social media activity and comments have drawn national attention, including liking posts that promoted violence against Democratic leaders. Now, Congresswoman Green responded to the vote today in a morning press conference. I had the greatest opportunity yesterday, and I'm so grateful for it. I got to say what I had done wrong. And do you know how freeing that is? Now, as for no longer serving on the two committees... So if I was on a committee, I'd be wasting my time because my conservative values wouldn't be heard and neither would my districts. Now on to our daily update regarding the COVID-19 pandemic. In total, 763,077 cases have been confirmed in Georgia. And today we're going to give you a new metric regarding hospitalizations. And this comes from the feedback we get from you all. So this is from the Bloomberg COVID-19 hospitalizations in the U.S. According to them, from January 7th to yesterday, 4,239 Georgians are currently hospitalized. And that accounts for just under 24 percent of all of Georgia's hospital beds. Now to date, 13,048 Georgians have lost their life lives due to the virus. And this is according to the Georgia Department of Public Health. Now, as we often do when we have questions about all the latest COVID-19 news, we turn to Sam Whitehead. He's our health reporter and host of the very popular podcast, Did You Wash Your Hands? So what did I do? I called him up this morning. Sam, thanks for taking the time as always. I appreciate it. Thanks, Rose. Uh, I think popularity is relative. We'll keep that in mind. (laughs) Well, Sam, all this week, and obviously since the new administration has come online, the talk is about the vaccine distribution plan. Let's just give an update for our listeners here. Right now, where is Georgia in terms of the phases? What people in the group are eligible for the vaccine? And then also, where is Georgia in terms of getting more vaccines? Well, Rose, not a lot has really changed over the last few weeks, uh, short of the state kind of rolling out the doses that it has. Governor Kemp said this week the state has now administered its millionth vaccine dose. It's not clear how many of those are first and second doses. But if you consider that there are about 2 million people in this group 1A+, which is the current phase that we're in, there's still a long way to go. The governor said this week the state is going to be getting 154,000 doses a week for the next few weeks. Now that number is a little bit larger than it had been. Uh, because the state is now getting its hands on doses that had previously gone straight to long-term care facilities. Those are now being made available to the general population. And the Biden administration has released a plan to actually start sending doses directly to some retail pharmacies. So 
that's going to bump our numbers up a little bit too. Uh, but the governor and Dr. Kathleen Toomey, who leads our State Department of Public Health, have said time and time again that they're really at the whim of the feds and don't have a lot of control over when new doses might be coming. So progress is being made, certainly. I understand it's not as fast as people might hope, but it really does seem that the state's hands are tied here. It's purely based on the amount of vaccine doses we're being sent. So Sam, let's be clear about this, because is there a clear timeline? Sounds like you're saying the issue is the vaccines have to arrive first, and then the governor wants to inoculate as many people in that first 1A plus group, correct, before moving on or adding more people to the next phase. Does that make sense? Yes. And I have actually had a conversation this week with Cody Hall. He is the governor's communications director. And he said pretty clearly that the governor's office is not going to put out a date about when they might move into the next phase, only to have to walk it back. Um, The governor's office and the Department of Public Health really don't seem to have a clear timeline about when we might move into Group 1B, this next group of people who qualify for vaccine. Kemp has said that he wants to move on as soon as he feels like the state can, but that's all dependent on vaccine supply, which again is constrained and it seems like it will be for some time. Who is eligible for that 1B group? Who are we talking about? So the definitions are a little fuzzy around the edges, right? So 1B, as the state lays it out, are essential workers who don't work in the healthcare space. Now, there are a few different kinds of professions that people have kind of floated. The governor has talked about teachers a lot recently. um, So I don't think it would be a stretch to think that teachers could be in that group 1B. The governor mentioned, you know, grocery store clerks, people who work in shops and restaurants potentially could be in group 1B. And so there's this question too, I think that will arise as we move into that phase is what is an essential worker? The state has also you know, outlined people who work in power plants, people who keep the lights on and keep infrastructure running. Those are people who I certainly can imagine being in that phase. But I think other than that, there will be this question, a conversation about what makes someone's job essential. And I think you're going to hear a lot of lobbying from a, a bunch of different quarters arguing that people in a certain sector are essential and qualify for vaccination. As a matter of fact, Sam, at the time of this conversation earlier today, Governor Kemp posting in a tweet a letter that he has written to the Atlanta School Board addressing a mandate, in a sense, from some districts, including APS, that they want teachers part of a priority group. And the governor in his response saying, we don't have the vaccines, number one. And number two, we have to make sure we do this in the order of priority. A lot of districts are saying this now, but Sam, the CDC has come out and saying, look, research shows that the risk level is not that high in the schools and that the schools can safely reopen if they have a good plan. And so some folks have said, well, it's interesting that the CDC is coming out with this now. What are you hearing? Yeah, this is, I think, been probably one of the thorniest issues that we've had to deal with in the pandemic. Are schools safe? And what does safe actually mean? So in that letter um, that the governor published today to the Atlanta Public Schools, uh, it really echoes things he said this week, that if the state had the vaccine doses, he would love to get teachers vaccinated, but he just doesn't think that he can effectively do that right now while effectively serving these, you know, these people in Group 1A+. And he made the argument, which I think is a somewhat logical one, that the people in Group 1A plus are certainly healthcare workers who are needed to fight the pandemic, but they're also seniors and other people who are at highest risk for severe disease. And, you know, the state just came off a really big peak in hospitalizations. And the more people over 65 the state can vaccinate, the fewer of those people potentially will end up in already strained hospitals. So I think that is one side of it. On the other side, the CDC has said that with a lot of intervention measures, universal masking, keeping grade levels separate, uh, not doing extracurricular activities, that school settings can be safe. And we did hear from Dr. Rochelle Walensky. She's the head of the CDC. She said this week that getting teachers vaccinated isn't necessarily a prerequisite for schools to be able to return safely. So the issue is certainly very complex. And, you know, I think that there are good arguments to be made on a bunch of different sides here. Um, And state officials are in a very unenviable position of having to decide actually what to do with all this information. And Sam, something that we've been seeing on the national level is also concerns about communities of color who are eligible 
for the vaccine, but they don't have access to getting the vaccine because some of these vaccination sites are not in their communities or they have to travel real far. Do you know if the governor has a plan for helping local health departments reach these communities? That's a great question. I've actually been working on a project this week with some other local member station reporters across the South and data editors at NPR kind of tracking this. And what we have found is that this is a real problem across the South, um, including here in Metro Atlanta. Communities of color have not only been disproportionately impacted by the pandemic, but now it's shaping up like they might not have um, equitable access to uh, vaccine sites. This is something the state seems to have an eye on. And Dr. Kathleen Toomey talked this week about the state ramping up efforts and sending resources to local communities to let them do things like mobile vaccination sites or say partnering with churches or other community groups who can get into communities in the way that you know, a mass vaccination site is not going to serve people on a neighborhood level. It's going to have high throughput, um, but it's not going to be able to reach potentially the people who need it the most. And so, yes, this is something that the state seems to have an eye on. Um, but I think it's going to be a big lift here because our healthcare system is not set up to serve these populations as well uh, to start with. And so some of this infrastructure seems like it's going to have to be built from the ground up. They will need to rely on community partners here. It appears I was watching a news piece where in New York, it's taking efforts of grassroots organizations and community clinics coming together, literally knocking on doors saying, hey, if you are eligible for this vaccine, do you want to get it? We have a mobile unit downstairs and people are like, yes, thank you. So it sounds like it's going to take what we call, I guess, a private and public partnership to get that done. Now, Sam, something else that, of course, is in the news now, and that is these new variants. Now, we spoke with Emory infectious disease expert Dr. Mary Beth Sexton on the spread of the new COVID-19 variants. Do we know, have an update on how many confirmed cases are here in Georgia? of either of those, I think the one from the UK or the one from, is it Africa? We have a variant first discovered in South Africa, one first identified in Brazil, and then the one first identified in the UK. So all three have now been found in the US, uh, but here in Georgia, public health officials say they've identified about uh, two dozen cases of the variant first found in the UK. And Dr. Kathleen Toomey this week said with that, number of cases, it's probably safe to assume that that particular variant is widespread in the state. And I think with these other variants, if you find one case, it's likely there are other cases, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, this is a potential wrinkle in the pandemic. Um, All these variants are thought to be more transmissible. The verdict is still out on whether or not they are inherently more virulent or deadly. Mm -hmm. But of course, with the potential for more infections, there's also the potential for more deaths, right? So This is something that state public health officials are looking at because our numbers have been looking better. And there's this concern that these new, more transmissible variants could undo some of that work. The good news here is there is still this belief that the prevention measures that work against one strain of SARS-CoV-2 also work against the others. And so Mm -hmm. even though these variants are here, things like wearing masks, washing your hands, avoiding other people who live outside your household, those are still thought to be effective prevention measures. Some news of late, and this is the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. What do we know about this? One dose, two dose, and how close are they to being ready to asking for FDA approval? So Johnson & Johnson have asked for uh, emergency use authorization from the Food and Drug Administration for their one-dose COVID vaccine. The FDA has set a meeting to discuss that application in late February, Uh, Again, it's important to note this is not full FDA approval. This is this kind of lower bar green lighting in case of an emergency like a pandemic. And the big deal with this Johnson & Johnson vaccine is that it is a one dose vaccine and it does not have to be kept at the super cold temperatures Hmm. that especially the Pfizer vaccine does. The Moderna is not as sensitive to uh, needing to be so cold. And so there's this thought that the J&J vaccine even though it is less effective than the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines could really be a game changer because if it can be stored in a normal refrigerator, you could potentially get it out to more parts of the US and of the world that don't have great infrastructure to start with. And so while it has been shown to be less effective in clinical trials, there's this potential added benefit of only needing one shot 
and it re really being a lot more portable and a lot more durable uh, mm -hmm. of, of a vaccine to get out to harder to reach places. All right. WABE's health reporter and host of the podcast, Did You Wash Your Hands? Sam Whitehead. Sam, as always, I appreciate you taking the time. You've been doing a great job on this. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Now, so far this week, we've checked in with superintendents of the Atlanta Public Schools and DeKalb County School Districts to bring you the most updated information on how they are navigating, educating during the COVID-19 pandemic. And it's because you all asked us to do this, and we are committed to doing this. And we know every school district is tackling the pandemic differently, but all of the area superintendents that I've spoken to say they're making tough decisions and doing the best they can to protect the health and well-being of their students, staff, and educators. Well, now we turn to Clayton County Public Schools, and joining me now is Dr. Morrissey Beasley, the superintendent of Clayton County Public Schools. And Superintendent Beasley, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for taking the time. I, I know you all are busy like everybody else. Hi, Rose. Glad to be here. Honored to come and share what we're doing in Clayton County. Yeah, let me ask you this. Uh, when was the last time the students were inside the, the buildings, the, the walls of a Clayton County school building? Huh? How long has it been? Well, you know, that's a good question. I'll tell you, the last time all of them were on the campus was March 13th. You know, mm, we started yeah. virtual learning on March 16th. But since then, of course, we've had to uh, do statewide testing. And even now, we have small groups of students that are being transported from home to the schools to engage in access testing during the December. Uh, we had G uh, Georgia Milestone testing. So students, those who at least need to test in small groups have been uh, have had the opportunity to come to the campus, albeit just to take a test, but nonetheless. Uh, so we officially marched. 16th uh they've not been in the building since march 16th mm -hmm. but unfortunately because testing continues even during this pandemic we have been able to uh, or required to bring small groups of students mm -hmm. who need to complete testing to the various school sites in order to do so now superintendent how big is a small group less than 10 uh, what's the average number you yeah have? yeah i'm talking about 10 about 10 maybe 12 kids i mean it's and so you can imagine how that just prolongs the testing calendar mm -hmm. because you you've got to be mindful of the distance between them the employees of course uh you want to ensure that uh, the desks are uh, are spread so far apart they have shields on the desk we mm -hmm. have you know we have tried to do our very best to ensure that we minimize the risk of any transmission of the virus mm -hmm. while the students are on the school bus or on the facilities. And again, for our listeners, and again, for our listeners, why were these kids required or why did they have to come in? You said for some specific testing. Well, you know, Georgia submitted a, a waiver for yeah. testing this year, but uh, the previous secretary of education, Betsy DeVos, denied the waiver. Mm -hmm. And so we have basically, since we've not received an approved waiver for testing this year, we are basically expected to complete assessments this year. And that's what we've been doing. Clayton County has, among all the districts in the state, we have been administering Georgia milestones and other tests like the access test for students who are learning English for the first time. And so there's no other way they have to come in physically and then sit down at a desk to take these tests. There's no they other. They can't take. No. Yeah, they can't take the test. And all of our students have devices. They cannot take the test using the devices. They have to actually mm -hmm. come in physically and take the test. So 
You tell you you let I'll let you figure that one out. I don't know. <laughs> I'm over here. You y'all over there. I don't understand. There. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I don't understand how you have all this technology and 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 and. I mean, we use our devices to assess students every day mm -hmm. or teachers use to interact with students, to administer assessments. And, you know, I don't I guess people are afraid people will cheat, but um, I don't think that that's an issue in Clayton County. Mm -hmm. Our students uh, even now cheating and is, is not an issue. As a matter of fact, I think it would be a benefit to just allow the students to use the devices to take the test. But, hey, I am not the one administering the statewide assessment program, and maybe they have considerations that I've not thought about. <laughs> I never, I've never asked you this before. What is your what is your personal view about assessment tests like this? Yeah, I believe in accountability. I believe that uh, assessments... Uh, you know, I was around when No Child Left Behind was passed. I was I, I led um, many of the efforts with uh, the Race to the Top initiatives. I support assessments. I just believe it has to be a balanced approach to it mm -hmm. and the data has to be used appropriately. But I really I strongly believe in formative assessments that you assess students as they're learning just to ensure that they're learning the standards at the level that you would expect them to learn. And then, of course, accountability when it comes to uh, student and student groups, I believe mm -hmm. in America. Uh, until we started testing, you know, we kind of glossed over all the various uh, performance uh, measure outcomes that were occurring in the various racial groups. And I believe testing gave us a lens into the, the differences that existed mm -hmm. and how some groups were getting the support and others were not. And, and, and those tests really opened America's eyes to the inequities that existed instructionally and quality and resources, et cetera. So I, I support accountability in that regard, mm -hmm. but I think we've gone a bit OD. Um, mm -hmm. We've overdosed on assessment and that it just drives so much of the instructional calendar and we need to pull back on that greatly, mm -hmm. especially during a pandemic when, when clearly the, 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 the access to instruction, it varies not only from school to school, community to community, but it varies from student to student and from classroom to classroom. Well, and that's why we're also having these conversations. Now, Clayton County has remained virtual since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, some districts in the area are conducting in-person or a, a little bit of a hybrid. Uh, where are you all as a district right now in either assessing or, or looking at what is the the path forward could the students possibly come back this year or where are you all right now well rose as i, as I shared earlier we are still virtually learning and mm -hmm. we are looking at the data we you know our community it has been hit very hard mm -hmm. even now if you go to the new york times website and, and and plug in clayton county it says extremely high risk level and then the surrounding counties have an extremely high risk level. So our Board of Education, our parents, even when we have to bring the students to the campus for testing in small groups, they're very concerned. Um, our community at large is very concerned. And so while you have some uh, pockets that uh, of, of various communities that are demanding that we reopen regardless of the impact, in Clayton County, we've taken a more measured approach and, and a more measured response. So we look at our data. If you look at our COVID dashboard, mm -hmm. right now, while we have seen an increase in the number of positive cases per 100,000, it's about 608 as of the week of, of January 30th. Mm -hmm. We have on average 30 to 40 weekly new positive cases among our staff uh, that concerns us. And we know that if we're, if we're in the building, that will just con contribute to more disruption. Uh, we have uh, not as many student cases, but we do have some student cases, mm -hmm. uh, no, no more than 10 so far this month that we are aware of. And then of course, we realize that we're in the context of the metro area. Many of our employees live not only in Clayton County, but in all the surrounding counties that also have an extremely high risk level. Mm -hmm. So when we look at those considerations, that data, we, we hear our, our community concern and, and we, we try to weigh roles, okay, do we come back to school face to face with all of this data that tells us we're extremely high risk, mm -hmm. 30 to 40 staff cases, every new cases every week, 
uh, concerns for safety, concerns for families, concerns for students, et cetera. And then we get the new CDC data that says it's safe for schools to open. But, but my question is, within, is, it, is that data valid for or reliable for a context like I'm dealing with in Clayton, where I'm getting 30 to 40 new staff cases a day and mm-hmm. I've not even open, reopened schools? Mm. So we have just decided to, since all of our students have devices, we are providing Wi-Fi for all of our students if they need Wi-Fi. And our teachers are having, uh, right now, they are working. I I think they are just phenomenal with the virtual learning experience. We have decided, we weighed the pros and cons. We know that no uh, decision is a perfect decision right now, but we've decided to stay away from the disruption for instruction right now Mm -hmm. and stay with the virtual model until we achieve the benchmark that we initially communicated to our community. And that is, with the support of our epidemiologists, 100 cases or less per 100,000. Mm-hmm. And if we can get there for six consecutive weeks, then we will gladly transition everyone back to face-to-face. And so, I, you know, I hear a lot of, a lot of different people, Be- Dr. Beasley, open those schools. We would love to bring everyone back. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I get the Twitter conversations, and I enjoy engaging with people about our decisions as a community. But we've decided that this is what's best for Clayton County. Mm-hmm. Well, 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 now, now, Superintendent, <laughs> let, let's talk about this Twitter for a moment because okay. <laughs> you want to talk about it? On February 3rd, you tweeted out this question sort in a way mm-hmm. quote why do so many demand or expect all communities and families to make the same reopening decisions while they seemingly overlook the varied and inequitable experiences access and resources before this pandemic that are now being highlighted and aggravated during the pandemic well i'm glad you and i was hoping you would pull you would uh, pull that question you know how we do to, over to, here <laughs> no we ain't gonna let that <laughs> my producers they 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 stay on it. Well, and that's and you know that's the and you know when I when I ask a question like that, I really want people to reflect. Mm-hmm. You know, rose before the pandemic, our society has been just infiltrated, if you will, with so many inequities, and then the pandemic just just aggravates and uh, ameliorates those inequities and just highlights them in ways that it, it's hard to deny that they exist. Mm-hmm. But then you have these people who say they're for all children. And, and I take I take issue with anyone who says that they care more about my children and they've never worked with our children. And I've worked and loved our children and supported their educational process for almost 30 years. So, you know, I, I, I take exception to that. And then all of the educators in Clayton County, they value uh, our mm-hmm. children. They love our children. They give themselves daily beyond 40 hours a week to our children. Mm-hmm. So I try to uh, ask a question or I try to ask questions that make people think just because your community may not have been hit as hard and you want to reopen and 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 you don't quite understand that a lot of families in Clayton County are uh, essential workers for for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh that did just didn't happen overnight that, you know, there there's history mm-hmm. to all of all of that. So don't 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 um, don't expect me to make a decision for my community based upon the context that exists in your community. Mm-hmm. Clayton is a different place, as I've already shared where the data is. Our families are concerned and, and, and people have to acknowledge, you know, people wonder, well, why are some districts opening and some are not? And it looks like it's falling. It's, it's along the line of race and color. And that's because so many things in America falls along the line of race and color when it comes to our perception of how things are being done. Mm-hmm. Even as you mentioned earlier in your conversation, the virus, uh, the vaccine distribution, <laughs> what has occurred? We, we, we are so we are such an inequitable society. It's even been reflected in the way we're distributing the vaccine. And we were hopeful in Clayton that that would help us achieve the benchmarks that we initially communicated. So we could bring or can bring our students back face to face. So I don't ask the question to, to malign anyone. I just want people to understand that, you know, when, Try to at least understand the decisions that we're making mm-hmm. that we believe are best for our children, our community for this time. It doesn't mean that that decision won't change in a month from now sure. or two months from now. But today, based upon the factors that we're looking at, the variables that we are looking at, we believe that this is the best decision for our community. Let me ask you this. Do you have a 
percentage or a breakdown of how many Clayton County students have the devices and are able to to participate? Do you have a percentage that you're just not hearing from? All of our students have devices, and we have an average attendance rate. It, it varies between 90 and 99 percent, some days higher than others, but I think on average maybe about 92, 93 percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a process. If we don't hear from a student within a day or two, the teachers, the counselors, the social workers, and others are contacting those families. We're even doing, uh, we're doing home visits as well with our uh, uh, school resource officers, counselors, when it's safe to do so. So Mm -hmm. we are connected to our students. Our students are engaged. Uh, They are engaged instructionally. Now, we agree with most that face-to-face is a whole lot better than virtual, but Mm -hmm. I have to also remind people, Rose, that many of our students uh, in the state of Georgia were engaged in virtual learning even before the pandemic. Virtual learning is is not new. It's just been expanded because of this pandemic. It may be too early, or maybe it's not too early to think about the summer in terms of do you think you all will, if it's if it's optional or not, make that available summer school, make that option available for for students. If if a house of a family feel like the student needs to perhaps have some remedial or just some an opportunity to receive some extra instruction, you all thinking about doing that? Yes, Rose. You know Clayton County. We're known for some of the most innovative, engaging summer activities in the metro area and so we we're already planning a host of summer activities from stem to literacy to reading to kindergarten activities middle school transition uh literacy you name it our mm-hmm. families will have a litany of offerings that they can participate in that we believe will just keep them busy and help even make up some of the time that we may have lost uh throughout the entire school year so I, I will say to our families, as they always do, we send to every parent uh, communications about all the opportunities for them to sign up. Mm-hmm. They should expect that information this year no differently than they have in previous years. And we're excited. I don't know if you know this, Rose, but last year we even mailed science kits to the to the those families that signed up for the uh, opportunities mm. to be engaged throughout the summer. So we're excited to lead in that in that space. We're working with the uh, Summer Learning Council, we, mm-hmm. we have representation on the Summer Learning Council because we strongly believe in Clayton County that our kids should be engaged, not only during the school year, of course, but throughout the entire summer. And so you'll you'll hear about advanced learning camps, you'll hear about uh, AP opportunities, mm-hmm. you'll hear about uh Georgia milestone opportunities or just skill camps where kids can work on their reading and math skills uh, as we try to of course, recover learning loss losses, and as we ensure that kids have the opportunity to be prepared and, and more than prepared, if you will, mm-hmm. for the next grade level. Let me ask you as we wrap up, Superintendent, uh, how are you all been? Look, I know sometimes you cannot recreate the in-class instruction, particularly for our school districts that where so many of the students require wraparound services or for those students with special needs. How have you all been able to maneuver through that for those two groups? Well, it's the, I'll, I'll tell you what, I am pleased to see more engagement. And if, if there's a positive out of this entire situation, I see more, we see more engagement with our parents than we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And so right now, I see more engagement with parents, with the uh, teachers and parents, with students of special needs, uh, making sure that they're, they're having those virtual events, uh, whether it be developing skills or counseling or uh, providing those supports that they need in speech mm-hmm. or writing, math, science, literacy. It, they, they're occurring throughout the district in a, in a numerous uh, amount of ways, whether it be using the Chromebooks, the laptops, or parents. Uh, I've even seen teachers have to uh, visit homes if, if, they, if, if, if they had to, mm-hmm. to engage with students. Um, so we're, we're, we're using as every vehicle that's available to us 
to engage and to support our students who, you know, social emotional learning is a priority for our district. Sure. All of our students at the beginning of every day, our teachers have been trained. They engage in some type of social emotional activity just to check on the students. We believe that you got to make sure they're doing okay before you can ask them to do teach uh, reading, math, science, and all that other stuff that we that we're expected to do. And you so all are checking on your educators as well to see how they're doing? Check checking on them as well. As a matter of fact, uh, we have even enhanced our employee referral program so they know that not only do they have access, but members of their families have access to the resources that Mm -hmm. we have. And so we're checking and and we've created a culture where we we're a family where we're checking on one another to ensure that we're okay. We're you know, when we hear of a family that's in distress, we mobilize resources. And, 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 and you, if you've paid attention to any of our communication, if families are needing rent support, uh, we have communicated the countywide resources for that. What f- groceries, if they need groceries, countywide support for that. And of course, you know, we're providing meals, breakfast yes. and lunch to all mm-hmm. of our students throughout the county. And we've not we've not stopped and discontinue those efforts we continue and our and we're committed to ensuring that we land clayton county in a good place on the other side of this pandemic and i must say rose that's what i see in clayton county i see it at the leadership at the county level the board level all the cities working collaboratively together clayton county has really done an impressive job right. of taking care and responding to the needs of its families during this pandemic and we're pleased to be pleased to be a part of that all right superintendent beasley i don't know did, did you used to be a pastor, too? Because you're passionate, brother. <laughs> I love it. I, I have. I have. I have. I have it. There's something in there, bro. Something in there. <laughs> Dr. Morrissey Beasley, the superintendent of Clayton County Public Schools. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Best of luck to you, the educators, and all the students in the district. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Rose. Take care. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. Let's go back. Where were you? January 28th, 1996. Ah, yes. The boss, not Bruce Springsteen. Don't send me an email about that. Dana Ross was the halftime performer of the big game. My friend Ray was beside himself. By the way, it was the Dallas Cowboys versus the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Cowboys won by the score of 27-17. to 17. Well, once again, it's time for the big game, and if you're wondering why I can't say S-U-P-E-R-B-O-W-L, we'll stay tuned. Well, the Kansas City Chiefs will take on the Tampa Bay Bradys. I mean the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Sorry about that. Uh... <laughs> Atlanta-based sports journalist and sports marketing analyst. I'll get an email about that. Marcel English joins me to preview the big game on Sunday and talk about how COVID-19 has impacted sports. And if you don't really care about the game, but perhaps the halftime show, well, from our fellow NPR station, WCLK, and host of Upfront, the aforementioned Ray Cornelius joins me as well. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Rose. All right. (laughs) Let's begin here. A question for both of you. With this pandemic, sports and entertainment has drastically changed. Marcel, I'll start with you. Your take, what has stood out to you in terms of how the pandemic has impacted how we enjoy sports and entertainment? You know, when the pandemic started, I really didn't think or understand how this was going to happen, honestly. Um, I didn't foresee us having a Um, NFL season or even an NBA season. I just didn't see it. But um, from financial obligations, I knew something was going to happen. Um, I applaud the NBA. Um, The bubble idea was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you even heard it from the players who, with the leadership of Adam Silver, came in and really did some spectacular things with the NBA and became a model for what other leagues could possibly do. Um, The NBA, um, the NFL came behind and um, took a lot of notes from that. I'm sure they did um, to what they needed to do. Um, it was a little couple of hiccups in the beginning. Um, you know, games were rescheduled mm-hmm. due to COVID breakouts within teams and organizations. Uh, but, you know, here we are um, having our first uh, Super Bowl 
and this pandemic um, and even looking at, uh, you know, things from Tampa and tweets and, you know, the newscast and things like that, um, it seems like uh, the, N- the NFL has not missed a beat other than scaling things back um, mm-hmm. from an attendance perspective. Now, full disclosure, Ray, you and I you love concerts. Hold on one second, Ray. You and I, we love concerts, right? Yes. Normally, we go to a concert every summer. We didn't go nowhere last year, but inter- entertainment has changed. What's what you're taking on this? Yeah, you know, so much has happened uh, with COVID. I was going to say, uh, to to Marcel's point, you know, American sports, football, basketball, baseball, that's all a part of who we are as citizens in this country. And to not be able to go to a live game, I know for myself, I don't enjoy a football game unless I'm actually there. I can watch basketball on television, but baseball and football, I actually need to be there. And to know that we have been able to figure out different ways to be able to enjoy uh, games like the Super Bowl and, and of course, baseball and, and basketball, you know, just it just shows the resilience of of who we are. Same thing with entertainment. You know, I did a segment called The Show Must Go On, Entertainment and COVID-19. And again, we were able to find different ways to get, you know, our, our crafts uh, out there and, and seen, you know, through virtual spaces, of course, and then just being able to do things, utilizing different bubbles and different ways to stay safe during the, the COVID pandemic. But we haven't been able to see anybody live. And, and Marcel and Ray, we love being live there. I mean, you know, Ray, you and I have seen Diana Ross how many times? We've seen Diana at least three times. We we got a chance <laughs> to see the Queen of Soul. We've yes. seen a, uh, Tina Turner, Gladys. even George Michael before yes. he passed away. Gladys, yeah, so many people. And so I think, you know, the virtual space is great, but I think that with this vaccination and more and more Americans getting it, we're going to move towards being able to see those live performances again. Now, Marcel, let's talk about this big game here. Uh, let's just talk a little sports for a moment. I, I said the Tampa Bay Brady's. Everybody knows it was a joke. But listen, whether you like Tom Brady or not, the man wins, and it, and he helps his team. So if you don't want to root for Tom, maybe root for the rest of the Buccaneers. And we should note, Tampa Bay has two women on their football coaching staff, and they have a very, very diverse, one of the most diverse football coaching staffs in the entire league. So if you want to, from that from the social and racial justice lens, I mean, you could root for Tampa Bay and, and say, you know what, I'm rooting for, I'm not rooting for Tom Brady, but I'm rooting for Tampa Bay. But you can't hate on Brady now. Can't hate on him. And you and I have had this conversation a number of times over <laughs> about Tom Brady. And every time we talk about Super Bowl and I come on and we talk about him going to another Super Bowl, um, you know, is he the GOAT? I mean, let me tell you, and you know, I am not a Tom Brady fan. I was not a Patriots <laughs> fan. But this man has come to Tampa, um, brought, Ron, uh, brought Gronkowski out of retirement from sitting by his pool um, to say, I need your help to turn this team around. And one of the things that I loved about uh, Coach Arians, who was the coach of the um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that he said, Tom Brady came in and believed in us. And you know what? It takes somebody like a Tom Brady because um, I don't care where you are in your uh, football career or even your sports career. You look at Tom Brady and there are so many young men, um, not only in the quarterback position, who aspire to be him. Um, but this man has come to this team who, uh, for all intents and purposes, we were like, why is he going to Tampa outside of being close to a beach? But has turned this team completely well, around. I think Florida's tax I think Florida's tax breaks have something <laughs> to do with it. Too. Yeah, I think that has helped, too. Uh, but has come and taken this team and turned it around and taken it into a totally different direction. Um, they are playing for a Super Bowl. I mean, how amazing. The last time we saw them playing for a Super Bowl, uh, Warren Sapp was there. Uh, we had Brooks there. Mm-hmm. Um, we had, um, I cannot think of the coach's name, but, you know, and and for Tampa to actually be hosting the Super Bowl, this is the first time that a team who is playing in the Super Bowl is being hosted in the same city. So, I mean, amazing things for Tampa. Um, but, you know. I'm expecting a great game, honestly. Well, the the other great thing about this big game is the parties that typically go with it. And this is what I want to bring in Ray, because if there's a party at a a big major event, Ray's there. Ray gets credentials. I don't get credentials. It used to be the other way around. I know. I see him. I follow him on Instagram. Right. And he is everywhere I want to be. Y'all, now y'all get it. I used to get credentials. They don't even think about me. On the closer look, Rose, she don't even know. Ray, so the party situation, the entertainment is a little different, but the weekend. Now, Ray, what's your assessment about 
your, I guess your, where you are in st- in terms of an in- entertainer to be asked to perform the halftime show. You know, because well, I'm, not, think- I'm not saying the weekend shouldn't be there. I'm just saying Prince, Diana, Michael, Janet, you know, uh, all these big names. And then the weekend, you know. What do you well, think? Rose, I, yeah, I was going to say that. Beyonce. You know, yeah, <laughs> this show is being produced uh, in collaboration with Jay-Z as well as Jesse Collins. And I think what Jay-Z is doing is that he's bringing in talent that may not necessarily, and I don't want to say that he's not on a level of a Beyonce, but talent that he I think- He is not on the level of Beyonce. <laughs> well, I think he's, he's bringing in talent that people respect. I think okay. he's bringing in talent that, you know, when you think of The weekend, he's had such- um, an amazing career. Plus this last video where he totally transformed mm-hmm. his physical appearance to tell this amazing story. I think we we see his talent. I think we see his creativity. So I'm really curious to see what he's going to do for this halftime show. Now, you know, he mentioned during the press conference that his favorite performance was Diana's performance mm-hmm. back in 1996. And so I'm just, you know, he loved the idea of her you know, flying away in this helicopter and and would love to be able to include that in his act. So we're, we're going to see what he's going to do. And before I get some emails about the weekend, I think he's a very talented young man. He's young. He's only 30. Because I will get emails. And don't, I know Beyonce has a beehive, so I don't want the weekend hive coming out. I'm not saying he's not talented. I just, when I think of all the, you know, go ahead, Ray. Well, let me say this. I think, I think what you're, what you're really trying to say is the weekend is, has been around for, what less than 10 years and i think that when Five. you look at the cal- okay when you look at the caliber of artists that that were given this opportunity <laughs> to perform in the super bowl i mean diana ross you know she's she was an, she's an icon has been an icon for a number of decades now michael jackson was the king of pop at the time that he performed janet jackson at the top of her game beyonce at the top of her game i mean these are artists who have really put in a lot of time yeah. they've received numerous awards and are loved worldwide. So I think when you throw in someone like The Weeknd, who people are still, you know, Dionne Warwick was like, why do you spell your name with no, you know, with no E? You know, there are a lot of folks that are still trying to, you know, learn a little bit more about who he is. And though he has not, like you said, has been in the industry for a number of years, he has created buzz. Mm -hmm. Starboy was a hugely popular uh, hit for him. And of course, Black Panther. I mean, he's a very talented young man. He really is. He was on that soundtrack. So yeah, I I think, you know, we're all curious to see what he's going to do. All right. So uh, let's get to uh, who you got, Ray. Tampa, Kansas City. You know, I'm I am an alum of the University of South Florida, which mm-hmm. is located in Tampa, and lived there for quite some time. I was able to visit the stadium when uh, University of South Florida Bulls performed or played in our very first game. So I'm going to go with Tampa Bay. All right, Marcel. She's thinking. <laughs> I know. And, you know, I knew you were going to ask me this question. So um, I would I want to see a great game. Mm -hmm. I think Tampa is going to pull it out by three. Um, But, you know. Okay. All right. Uh, Another question I have, because we always talk about this every year, is that uh, the the must have. Now, we want you to also I can't tell you what to do, but Dr. Fauci says, don't just be inviting a whole bunch of people. But if you have the folks that have been in your little bubble, your little pod, that's okay. So we always ask this question, what is the must-serve food and what is the stay-away-from item? Ray, what is that one must-big-game food item you have to have? I need a chicken wing. <laughs> a good a good, a good, good chicken wing, lemon pepper, or a, a sweet teriyaki, or a barbecue, not too much sauce that it gets everywhere, but I need a good, a, a good chicken wing. Right. Marcel? I agree with that. I, I think a, a good chicken wing, um, some good um, chip and dip, some queso with some guacamole. I think I think that's that's going to be um, the menu in this home. And and the one item you might want to stay away from because it's eh, Ray. Beans. Anything with beans or anything that's going to, you know, because you're in close quarters, you're trying to stay safe. You you don't need the drama. Marcel. I, I agree with that. I, I definitely agree with that. Wings Drink responsibly too. Absolutely. Even though you're staying at home, drink responsibly. Absolutely. Wings and no beans. And and finally, as we wrap up, where do y'all think we're going to be maybe uh, in a few months where we get back to maybe some concerts and will concerts and, and entertainment, sports entertainment, will it be the same? Ray, I'll let you tackle that first. 
Yeah, you know, I think we're, we're going to have to give it another year. I know people don't want to hear that, but we've got to get through uh, these vaccinations. There are a large number of individuals that do not want to take this vaccination. And I think for us to get back to, you know, I was going to say, Rose, before coming into the pandemic, my last concert was Diana Ross at the Fox, and she did not perform Reach Out and Touch. And I think there was a reason why, because at that time we could not, you know, the virus was spreading mm-hmm. and we didn't know who really had it. So I think until we get back to a, a, a period where we feel comfortable being in the same room with more than 10 people, uh, the artist feels comfortable and we can reach out and touch, it's going to be a while, Marcia. maybe another year. Oh, wow. Marcel, what do you think? Sports and entertainment? You know, I definitely, yeah, I definitely see, um, you know, but I applaud, you know, people like the NBA and the NFL. Um, you know, we have the NF- NBA All-Star Game coming here to Atlanta in a couple of months now um, because of the pandemic and, and some things that the NBA can do here in Atlanta that they can't do in other cities. Um, but I think, you know, for moving forward, we are going to see a lot of these precautions stay around for a good while. And, you know, I am, I am happy to see it. Uh, but I think, you know, we're going to have to definitely change our mindset. Uh, it's never going to go back, I think, to to what we what we know. Um, but I, I think it's going to be something great. And it's really pushing these organizations to think outside of the box to give fans a different experience um, than just coming and sitting at an arena and watching a game. So. Well, and as it relates to entertainment, do you all think then we've seen the last of these big stadium and arena tours? Marcel? I don't think so. I mean, you know, I look at a lot of the the people who are, you know, who were slated to go on tour. Um, Like I had tickets to go see Alicia Keys and, you know, she's already come out and said, well, you know, I am coming back and, you know, going to perform in July. Uh, But I I think at some point we are going to get back to that. Um, We look at uh, like Ray was talking about people with the vac- uh, vaccinations and mm-hmm. uh, making sure that, you know, we are educating uh, not only um, the, the mass of the community, but our, our also our, our black and brown community to go out and get vaccinated uh, to get back to these things. And um, when we look at African-American athletes, that is the 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 top percentage of, of what's out there on the field and on the courts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and when we look at fans through the NFL and the NBA, those are the highest number of fans in the demographic that go to see these types of games. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that is going to be one of the things. Uh, but I, like I said, I still think there are going to still be precautions even going into 2020. I'm sorry, going into 2022 uh, with these, you know, large city games and even something like a Super Bowl. Ray, we got about just a minute left. What do you think in terms of entertainment and those big st- stadium and arena tours? I think you're going to see a large number of outdoor um, performances, being able to bring an Alicia Keys to, um, you know, a sta- an outdoor stadium where you can safely social distance, bringing concerts to mm-hmm. Piedmont Park and places like that in Central Park, where you can safely social distance and wear your mask and also be free. You don't feel like you're confined. So I'm all for that. I don't know if I'm, if I'm necessarily for going back into State Farm Arena to watch a- an Alicia Keys concert. I prefer to see her in Piedmont Park. yeah she's actually going to be at chastain oh so that to your point yeah she's going to yeah she's going to be at chastain so all right so i guess we'll be heading outdoors for our concerts from our fellow npr station wclk entertainment correspondent and host of upfront ray cornelius and also our atlanta-based sports journalist and sports marketing analyst marcel english thank you both for taking the time it's kind of nice just to have a little fun and end of friday talking with friends about the big game and entertainment. And of course, Diana Ross. Come on now. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Have a great weekend, you two. You too, Rose. You too. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Kevin Kevin Rinker because he rides a bike. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash closer look. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. 
The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on the ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.